I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in our Pretoria studio today is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Ibeleng Bokopani Zulu. She has served as an MP for four terms, and in that period, she was appointed as Deputy Minister for Public Works, Deputy Minister of Women, Children and People with Disabilities, and thereafter to her current portfolio as Deputy Minister of Social Development. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for having us. Deputy Minister, you've served the country for many years, and during the course of that time, you've held various positions. Can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career, and are there any specific milestones which you want to accomplish in this term of office? I think one went to Parliament young, so you could, as a young person, you could really push and uh, you know, test the waters, push the boundaries, said because age allowed you to do so. So yes, we've done a lot. Uh, we've established a lot. I remember just starting on issues of women. We had the network on violence against women that was functioning. We, uh, I chaired the parliamentary committee on youth, youth, children, and people with disabilities. And that was an amazing experience. We've um, reviewed the plan of action on children, and that set South Africa to begin the process of respecting the rights of children. We've, um, you know, produced the integrated national disability strategy that led South Africa to be able to respect and uphold the rights of people with disabilities. And there's a whole lot of other things that we did from ensuring that NEFSAs can acknowledge the special needs students with disabilities have to establishing disability rights units in every university. So there's quite a lot that one looks back and is very happy to have been part of it. And that's the history which sounds like an incredible success story with lots of milestones in that track record. Moving forwards into the future, what's next? For me, what is important is integrated development. It is where you take time, invest energy and resources in a community and turn that community upside down, literally addressing every social ill in partnership with communities and that is the mission i'm on now following what the statistician general releases as what we call the poverty gender-based violence hiv aids map using that and also the identification of the poorest municipalities in our country one is going in there in partnership with the private sector and changing the lives of people. We've done that in Mbombela local municipality through Saisani Center of Hope, where we arrived, we did dialogues, we engaged communities, we did household profiling, and we started rolling out that which the community has requested. And in two years, we have done what we would have done in 10 years. So for me, I'm focusing on integrated development, 
because in it you are able to respond to the total aspect of a community from raising awareness on underage drinking with young people from making sure pregnant women don't abuse alcohol from making sure that there is one nutritious meal a day for every older person child-headed households computer labs so all of these things are in the integrated development uh, strategy that I've adopted with my team that we are rolling out. We've started in the Ratlow local municipality. We'll be going to Fort. So we've started following the map where we are able to actually have a direct impact. Because I believe that when you do bits and pieces, you actually take longer to have the impact. But now when you put it all together, invest the resources, and when you leave that municipality, it is able to be self-sustainable and people are able to be a, a entrepreneurs to get themselves jobs, but also to sustain themselves through a whole lot of programs that one is busy introducing. So the future for me is changing communities. It sounds like a fantastic ecosystem initiative. And as you've already articulated when you said that usually to do something like this with the success story from Mbobelo was that it would take 10 years to do. But through the integrated components, it was delivered in two. Now, the Department of Social Development is the custodian of social protection. And some of the stories that you've just spoken to us about now really emphasize that. Many people know that the department oversees social assistance programs with over 17 million South Africans receiving social grants. But the department also does extensive work through other programs like early childhood development, tackling substance abuse, gender-based violence, a food for all program, HIV and AIDS support, addressing people with disabilities and many others. Can you tell us more about some of these other programs? I think I need to start to say to South Africans, one of the most important programs, uh, given the high prevalence of violence against women and children, we've realized that we have a lot of good programs and sometimes they are not known. So I think it's important that we make South Africans aware that you can access social development services through our 0800-428-428 or please call us on star 120 star 7867 hash we will call you there is our command center run by social workers not call center agents as normally by qualified registered social workers 24 hours so we're calling on south africans to actually make use of that call if you don't have airtime send the please call me we will call you back to be able to partner with us whether it's and, and a woman that's abused, whether it's a child that does not have uniform when they go to school, because amongst the other programs, we distribute free uniforms to ch- poor children, but we can never know all of them. So we're calling on the communities to partner with us, to bring them to our attention through the command center, through any structure that is in the community. And we will respond because when we came into the second term of this administration. President Zuma was very clear that education is at the heart of South Africa's success. And also, we must provide school uniforms. 
We then went further and our, our other programs is that people like saying you are forever paying grants. So we are also empowering those women that are receiving grants. We putting them into cooperatives instead of us buying the uniform our uniforms are sewn by the very women that receive the the grant as a way of exiting and towards the family sustainability because after 18 the grant won't be there so they are we, they are being trained by our national development agency they are getting the SABS approval and they are making the uniforms so we register the cooperatives we incubate them and after three years we hand them over to the department of small business because we would have done the teething problems that cooperatives usually go through and i suppose the success of the social grant system is in effect almost to reduce the number of grants that are being paid up because you're being able to empower people who've received those grants through initiatives like this and the cooperatives that they establish exactly that is working very well we're now doing the Food for Waste program also, where we put uh, young people into cooperatives and educating the communities on how to look after their own environment. And we do that by establishing tax shops, that we call them sub shops, so you go and you, your currency is waste. So we're encouraging recycling as a way of, instead of you us giving you money, we give you buy in a shop that which you need. So we are beginning to teach children on how to recycle because they keep the environment clean. We're getting women to work in the landfills and for every square meter of the landfill, the agreement is that the municipality must give them the land they've cleared so that they can create their own food. We've done that, it's there, and a lot of jobs is being created with that initiative. You've already spoken about early childhood development. I think what I want to add, which South Africans must also know, is we do have a problem of teenage pregnancy. And everybody talks about keeping girls in school. And what was missing was, if that girl has the baby, for her to be back in school, what and where is she going to leave that baby? So we've introduced baby rooms where the ECTs, our ECTs can begin to uh, accept uh, children from 10 days old so that we can try and get the young girl back in class as quickly as possible but also on contraceptives. And we're beginning to utilize our ECTs for like a central point where even talks on positive parenting because teenagers are children. So it's a child that has a child. So they cycle of um, a child that doesn't grow properly starts there. So we need to address that. So we run positive parenting classes using the ECT infrastructure in the community so that young girls can go and talk and they can be talked to and we can turn the ones that fell along the way, had babies, we use them as mentors and peer counselors in the school education system so that they can share with the young girls that don't have children how painful it is to be a teenage mother. But the reality is I don't think that in those situations that those pregnancies are planned. 
And some of them can be from consenting relationships, but a lot of them are not from consenting relationships. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the girls feel more victimized because this has happened to them and it's not their fault. That is very true. There is a lot of rape in this country and there is a lot of um, rape amongst the young girls by their, you know, boys of their own age, but also the men older than them. And there is also a, 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 a lot of young girls out of frustration and poverty that find themselves in the streets as sex workers. So, yes, the, the cycle is a long one. But what I can say is that the department runs a victim empowerment program. Our victim empowerment program, uh, for the first time this year, we've added perpetrators. Because I've always believed that nobody is born to be a rapist. So we can't only deal with the one that has been raped and, and ignore the one that has raped because they both need help. So as the person that is responsible for the gender-based violence program politically because President Zuma has um, made sure we sign our performance contract, one is beginning to say women cannot do it without the men next to them. So... We have the command center as the first intervention. We are now distributing um, the personal alarms uh, for women called the memezas that are linked to our command center. So that is also where we partner with a private sector because we still don't have enough money to roll out the memezas so that women can protect themselves. We're also making sure that we are developing a register of perpetrators so that we develop a program. We are now rolling out shelters for men. We do have shelters for women, uh, three categories. The first ones are the White Door Centers of Hope. Those are everywhere in every community because that is in partnership with communities. If you have an extra bedroom or a house you are no longer using, you are able to say, can uh, the department use this house and we turn it into a White Door Center of Hope. That is where communities can run to or any, whether the woman is being chased or raped, that's the first point of entry. Then we've got the second level of our shelters, which differ in security. The, high, the, the highest ones, I think we've got 13 of those, those are for trafficked women. We know that South Africa has a challenge with drug mules and also with trafficking of um, internally and externally. So when we when we re rescue those that have been trafficked, we take them to a high security um, shelters. We've got 13 of those uh, because those that trafficked them would still pursue them for one reason or the other. So we protect them. And then the, the, the other shelters are shelters that are secured, but not as secured as the trafficked one. Uh, they are secured based on the assessment of the social worker. So your first entry will be the White Door Center of Hope. Maybe your husband has beaten you up, but if he is a violent man, we will remove you there because in the White Door Centers of Hope, women do other programs and they are not excluded, like removed from the community. But if uh, it's danger, will take you to the second level. But now we've also introducing shelters for men. Because at the moment, we only have one shelter for men based in Gauteng. And as we engage with men as partners, they are beginning, you are beginning to see. We had an outreach in Pochestrum, and one man stood up and said, Deputy Minister, I'm angry. 
and I have knocked at every door to ask for help and nobody wants to help me. When I learned you are coming, I said I must present myself to you and tell you that I need help. And that begins to say he's aware that he is hurting, but how many men are hurting who don't have anywhere to go? And the anger ends up, they take it out on children, they take it out on women. So we've started developing a um, a program which is a register and working with men. So we this year we'll be rolling out uh, additional shelters for men where men can go before they do anything that they would regret, where they would go if they have been abused also, but also where they can go to just get assistance of one thing or the other that's socially related. Deputy Minister, you weren't kidding when you said that the department has many programs which are not getting adequate exposure and creating the awareness of, of what the department is doing and benefiting so many people in society. Thank you very much for relaying some of them. I know that there's there's definitely more, but we don't, in the interest of time, have time to share all of those. Globally, women around the world tend to undertake most of the unpaid labor, which is essential to sustaining households and economies, whether it's cooking, cleaning, child rearing, subsistence farming, etc. And according to UN Women, women tend to carry out two and a half times more unpaid housework and care work than men. And as a result, they've got less time to participate in the paid labor force, mm. or they tend to work longer hours because they're trying to accommodate the household things and still attend to their, their work commitments. How do you think we can promote a more equitable distribution of unpaid work between men and women in households? I agree 100% with you and women, and that is true. We see it every day. The solutions starts with us as women, how we raise our children. For me, if we as women can change the way we raise the boys and start there and not create like you can go kick the ball while your sister is sweeping the floor, it has to start there. If we can start there and then you make your son understand that he is as responsible for housework as the sister is, then that boy would become a better partner and the the house chores would be shared. But it's also about changing the dialogue. Um, I'm a Motswana girl and I would say I'm lucky. My husband shares with me the house chores because her, the mother raised him like that and the mother used to tell him that you must, you guys must know how to do housework because he had five boys. So wow. they had to clean, they had to cook. So I'm benefiting from that because I don't have the problem of cooking. But what I have seen is his friends will say, ah, she dealt with you, you know. So you're now washing, doing, washing, doing this. So that then starts to make him feel like less of a man. So the important part is we also need to change the dialogues. When men meet, they need to have different discussions. And that starts with changing them from being ATMs, just sending the money to children, or refusing to maintain, or refusing to clean. So, But it's about how do we use 
men, progressive men, to change the dialogues where men meet. The key takeout for me in the conversation so far goes back to that very first point that you raised about integrated development. We're talking now about having men's shelters, uh, talking about having the perpetrators as well as the victims, inclusion, talking now about starting off with kids right from the beginning, going through with the EC, uh, early childhood development component, all about starting off right and getting everybody involved and almost co-creating solutions to benefit all stakeholders concerned. Today, we're talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Epeleng Pokopani Zulu. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Epeleng Bokopani Zulu. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Deputy Minister, being a female political leader in Africa sometimes touches sensitive points like culture, religion and tradition. In your experience, do you think women leaders face different challenges to their male counterparts and are they judged differently? Yes, they are. They they are. Um, even if you are a woman holding a particular office, that expectation that you must still clean up, you must still go raise the kids, you must do the homework is still there. It's not removed by the virtue that you are now having extra hours or you're holding that particular office. It it doesn't. But it's also worse if you're young because then you are of childbearing age, so you still need to go on your maternity leave, and it is like you have that break. Whilst you are at home looking after the newborn baby, the world doesn't stop to wait for you. So as young young women in these high offices, we are bound to play catch-up all the time. But also... I've had experiences, personal experiences. Well, for me, besides being a black woman, I'm also a disabled woman. So the the odds become even more added because at everywhere you go, um, they first see your disability, then that you are a woman, and then that you're black, and then you have to justify all three things all the time. So to manage that, it's a question of I have what I call a board of directors. So those are women that have strengths in different areas. And their duty is to give me feedback that I don't want to hear. So that they can grow me, mentor me, support me, but also so that I can know that I have the support, I'm still on the right road or am I going off the road? And also when I get overwhelmed, Because what we don't realize is that for women in politics, for an example, the level of depression is very high uh, because there's a lot expected from you. But also the support isn't there. The higher you go, the lonelier it gets. So you need to make effort to stay grounded. Sometimes we don't. We get carried away. 
So my grandmother was one of the wise women who said to me, as you go up, create for yourself a board of directors. Create your own board. Make sure you don't lose touch with certain women that you respect them or aspire to be like them for one reason or the other. They'll keep you grounded. And that's what I do. So I convene my board of directors at least once in six months. We have a girl's uh, day out. But now I've started to add uh, boys onto my board of directors also because I'm able to ask them questions that the girls would not have answers for. And I'm also able to bounce certain ideas And they are also able to teach me how men think. That way I navigate the journey and make it lighter. I haven't come across something like this in terms of establishing a personal board of directors, but I think it's a wonderful, wonderful idea, which has clearly helped you in your in the work that you do and all, all the endeavors and having that diversity and having a, a trusted environment so that things are always improving. Now, turning more towards a, a bit of a personal perspective, you've championed various groundbreaking initiatives in relation to HIV and AIDS. You were chairperson of the Interparliamentary Union Advisory Group on HIV and AIDS, the UN AIDS Review Committee, as well as co-chair of the UN Agenda for Women and Girls on HIV and AIDS. And I read recently that in South Africa, there's an estimation of over 7 million people living with HIV. And more concerning for me was that 60% of them are women. What efforts are underway to stop the rising HIV rates amongst girls and women? We have a lot of programs. It's true that we are making progress in bringing the prevalence of HIV down, but we are not winning when it comes to young girls from 15 to 24. That is where the problem is. And um, the sad part is that the problem is there And when you match it with the boys, it's a totally different story, which then says to you, the girls are not infected by their peers because the same age of boys, the the prevalence is very, very low. There's a lot um, that is happening. The first we have, for an example, the Zazi program that tries to assist young girls to reinforce their own value system and their own cultural and religious value system that says, who am I? So that once you understand who you are, you are able to take a stand. The other program is First Things First, uh, which a lot of the challenges that we are picking up is when young girls leave home for the first time to go to universities. As a first-year student experiencing that freedom, out no mother that's going to tell you what to do, it's where we also get a lot of our new infections and a whole lot of um, one-night stands and sex without condoms. So that program, we have uh, gone on a roadshow to actually request every university to have that program, First Things First, for first-year students. That deals with all the challenges from drugs to alcohol, Everything that is of a social nature that would lead them 
to being HIV positive. But also the Minister of Health has launched the uh, prevention program, a tablet, so that when our girls are tested and they test negative, there's this one tablet that they we will make sure that they swallow to stay negative, that they never become positive. So that is being rolling out, and we are also trying to use our ECD uh, centers to assist girls to, to collect that, just to clear them from the um, clinic healthcare system so that they are able to, 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 to use that. Then you have the She Conquers program where young girls are being assisted to conquer all the different challenges from their, in the, the, you know, their ability to protect themselves as and when they are attacked, either through rape, like self-protection, they are able to resist the older men, they are able to use contraceptives and condoms um, uh, together, and also as social development, we are responsible for the prevention aspect of HIV. So we've ro- we are rolling out a lot of programs that are community-based to uh, to assist us to intervene community by community, ward by ward, in partnership with our ward committees and our ward councillors. So we do door-to-door household profiling, which is supported by also testing and counselling so that we can know that there is HIV-positive people in this house and how do we utilise them in the community to actually begin to bring the prevalence down. So we are struggling with young women There's a lot of money invested in young women, and we think we need to do more. It seems that you are passionate about making a difference in people's lives and facilitating really supportive environments to help them to help themselves and be empowered. What motivates you? My own life journey motivates me. You know, born totally blind, going to a school for the blind in a rural village, and everybody is telling you, you're never going to be good enough. You never, you know, you never, you can't. And that's the only language you hear. You can't do this. You can't do that. I think one developed a resilience. And when everybody said you can't, you lived to say I can. And every day when they say you can't do this, you say I can. And as you succeed and conquer and push the barriers, you then realize that let my own journey uh, begin to to tell the story. So, but also I need to say, I think I was born with a strong spirit that I think resilience is one of the gifts my grandmother gave me as somebody that raised me, but also growing up being taught to fear God and to always do the right thing, even if nobody is watching. So that informs how I behave even in my political career. Every day I want to go to bed and account to myself because if I don't, I feel like I'm stealing from the poor. You know, if I can't account for what I did, when I get paid at the end of the month, I'll be like, I stole 10 days. I can't account what is it that I've done. And that is what drives me. But also I am just a community worker at heart. That is what gives me the energy, the passion, is 
when I see something, when I see those smiles of the lives I touch, when I get the, those well done, it says to me, go out there and do more. Positive feedback, reinforcement, and it just contributes and, and enriches. It continues to pay it forward. One of the questions that I ask all my guests on this program who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about the factors that have contributed to their success. You've already mentioned resilience as being one of the the key motivators and an I can attitude. What, in your opinion, have been some of the other key drivers to your success? The love for people is where it all starts in my view. I've always loved social work, not social worker, the profession, but engaging people socially in their small spaces. But because of my disability also, I've always understood that the the person is not the problem. The barriers are the environment. So all my life I've invested time to change in the environment rather than investing time to change in the person. Because I understood with myself that when my environment changed, when I get my Braille documents, when I get my large print, that influences the way I behave. So I invest time changing the environment because when the environment is changed, the people automatically respond. But if you invest time in trying to change a person and then that, then you're like dragging the horse to the water and expect that it will drink. Rara creates the river and then you will see that the horse will voluntarily go and drink. And that for me is how I approach programs. But the other part of my success, I think I've lived through what I am. And I can talk about rape because I was raped. So it's easy for me to relate and to say, look, You know, you can't allow somebody to steal your everything just because they raped you. So, you know, get, you know, get over it and be able to put a woman together and get her move on with it. They already stole. Don't let them steal your whole life, you know. So it's my own personal life, but also my board of directors are amazing because they are always there to argue among themselves but also to give me feedback, negative, positive, whatever. But they're there to uphold me. So the you are because we are has worked a lot for me. The understanding that I need people to walk the journey with me. And that for me, I think it's the biggest secret is that I understood I can never do it on my own. The day I understood that, I think it's the day I gained my wisdom And I started realizing that if I really, really, really want to get to where I want to, I'll need a lot of people that will journey with me to get me where I want to go. I find that very, very inspiring of using, creating the support structure and then using that as as an aid for, for progress. What would you say has had the biggest impact on you to make you the person that you are today? Firstly, I think my belief system. I'm a very stern Christian. 
I think the knowing that you know knowing God and investing hours in striving to be like Christ every day keeps me going. That spiritual strength is what I need, but also the desire to succeed and create a legacy that I would want to be remembered for. And that is also the strength my grandmother always said, is you need to write your own obituary. She would say that to us, that never forget that every day you are writing your obituary. So write it so that people can say what you want them to say the day that you leave. So every single day when you wake up, thank God first and foremost for that day, but be conscious that you are writing your obituary. And that is what she used to tell us every night. So it's got stuck in my head and every day I will remember that I'm writing my obituary by my behavior and I must remember this that I'm doing, it's how people will remember me. So I, every day I decide how I want to be remembered and my grandmother made sure of it. She sounded like a very wise woman. Now, lastly, Deputy Minister, we're coming to the end of our show today. Can you please share a few words of inspiration which you'd like to pass on to women in Africa who are listening to us? First and foremost is that women must value their self-worth. You are worth a lot. It doesn't matter how poor you are, but by virtue of being a woman, you are worth a lot. To your country, to your community, to your family. Secondly, it's important that without women, no country can stand. So women need to understand their power that they have. Not power, that power that they are born with. Let's use that power positively, not negatively. Because as women, we are seen as we pull each other down. Let's push each other up and use the inner strength and the power that we are born with to actually create a better Africa and an Africa we all want to live in. I think that's a wonderful message of using the power from within to connect with everybody else and, and lift them up. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective, and we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Ipaleng Bohopani Zulu.